If you want to write stories your readers will love, there are three things you need to do. Understand storytelling principles, see how other writers have applied those principles, and then use them in your own work. Here on the Story Nerd Podcast, our goal is to demystify story theory. We'll help you with the first two steps so that you can get started with the third. My name is Valerie Francis. I'm a writer and literary editor, and I focus on stories by, for, and about women. And I'm Melanie Hill, writer, editor, and poet. And I have a passion for spy stories, fairy tales, and master detective novels. On today's episode, Melanie pitched Sliding Doors so that we can study sequences. This 1998 film was directed and written by Peter Howitt. Of course, there will be spoilers because, as always, we can't talk about the story without talking about the story. And before we get on to the episode, we would love it if you could give us a rating and review. For Apple Podcast listeners, you can do it right from your phone. Simply go to the show's landing page and scroll to the bottom. It's that simple. Alrighty, Melanie, sliding doors. What do you have for the genre? Ah, so I've broken down the genre in a very different way this week. And the reason for that will become clearer later on as I go in for a bit of an analysis. But I have got that the genre is for Blonde Helen, a love courtship story. For Brunette Helen, a long-term love relationship story. And for Jerry in the brunette storyline a love a love obsession story and then for jerry in the blonde helen storyline a love broken trust story so now i'm not going to focus on the blonde helen jerry storyline because it will get too tangled and confusing um but just be aware that it's present in the movie so that's sort of how i've broken it down and i'm not going to go with an internal genre for this film although there is one and it's probably helen um who we see and meet at the start and we see at the end of the film so yes that's a bit convoluted but that's how i've broken it down this week what about you yeah i just kept it super simple (laughs) i think this is a courtship love story uh and i think the secondary genre is worldview maturation for helen and I don't know if you noticed this, uh, Melanie, but at the end of the movie, there's even a song telling us what the genres of the film are. It made me laugh my head off. I didn't notice that at all, do you know? I'm going to go back and listen now because I did not know. It's the song that starts playing when Brunette Helen gets on the elevator when she's leaving the hospital right at the end and she meets James and she drops her earring the second time that song that's playing. (laughs) Ah, right. Okay. Right. I'll go and I will listen for it. Cause I think when I was, when this movie first came out, I I think I actually bought the CD of the soundtrack. So I, (laughs) it's probably still there somewhere. I'll just have to find a CD player. (laughs) And it's marketed as a rom-com. Now, I don't know if I would call it a rom-com, honestly. Uh, one, I didn't find it particularly funny, but, (laughs) but I can see why they would market it as a rom-com. Anyway, that's what I see it as a courtship love story with worldview maturation. Right. Okay. So I can tell already that we're going to have a few differences of opinion about this story, (laughs) but that's okay. And it will make for, um, interesting listening this week, I think. Right. So 
I am looking at breaking stories down this season into sequences. So I've mentioned in my identification of the genre that there are three stories, possibly four, um, and there's possibly more that I've thought of overnight before we started to record the episode. Which So I've discounted Lydia's story arc and she's in the story and I think there is a bit of an arc there for her in both of the storylines, but I'm not going to focus on that. Um, I think I'm going to focus on three this, this week. Having so many characters with bigger story arcs is all in line with the mini plot slice of life story structure. And I just want to explore this for a minute because it's essential to understanding the sequences in Sliding Doors. Now, there is a school of thought out there that mini plot stories are based on internal changes and internal genres and that they are basically character-driven plots. So I have a different take on that. And the reason for that is I have a client at the moment who is writing a mini plot story And so I've recently immersed myself in many mini plot stories so that I can help her develop the story structure and each of her characters' story arcs around a central theme. And this is what I have found in doing this study, that there is one controlling idea in a mini plot. In sliding doors, the controlling idea is everything will turn out all right in the end. And James actually says that to Blonde Helen in the movie. There is a central theme in a mini plot story and in Sliding Doors the theme is love and fidelity. Each character represents an aspect of the theme. There is usually one central character that all the other stories centre around and this character's story arc is more aligned to the heroine's journey. Now, it's not exactly this story arc in Sliding Doors, but there are some important commonalities. And very quickly, the most important one is the separation of the masculine and feminine, which really means the separation of an internal emotional life and external achievement. Now, I know I'm not doing this justice in any way, but the most important aspect of this is what we see on the screen with Sliding Doors. And we see the separation of Helen right at the beginning of the movie. There are also other things that come together in the story. So there are the common pangs of early stage pregnancy felt in both Helen's storylines and then blonde Helen's death and the awakening of Helen, brunette Helen, at the end. So these concepts of a cast of characters, a central theme, one controlling idea and one central character are common in mini plot stories. And you will see how this plays out as I break down the single central actions for each storyline in the sequences. Now, this is a relatively short movie at only one hour, 35 minutes. Give or take, the sequences break down in about 12 minute blocks each. And there are eight sequences in Sliding Doors. And I'll go through those in a minute. Now, by looking at the sequences and keeping an eye out for the major plot points here, this is what I found. And I'll distinguish the three storylines by calling the first and the primary one Blonde Helen, who we meet at the sliding door sequence at 5 minutes 30 seconds in the movie. So that's the first sequence. The second is Helen. That's the one we meet at the beginning and and we see at the end of the movie. And the third is Jerry's storyline in the 
brunette Helen story. So I hope this is not confusing as I go through and explain it, but they're the ones that I'm focusing on. And like I mentioned, there are others. Blonde Helen's storyline takes primacy in the story because it's important to the gut punch ending. We are more invested in Blonde Helen's story because we expect a happy ending due to the courtship love story structure that it's given. We see this story as more desirable because we think it will give us the happy ending we're waiting for, for Helen and for ourselves. We are attuned to expect a happy ending from this courtship story. Helen's story, on the other hand, is not so great. For most of the middle section, Helen is being duped by Jerry and we believe she's missed the opportunity to meet with James and have a happy ending. And when I started to look at Helen's story and break it down more, I realised that it's actually Jerry's story that has more action in it than Helen's. Jerry's story and Helen's stories are intertwined, but it's Jerry's story that meets more of the story structure conventions than Helen's does. Helen is a passenger whose suspicions grow, but she doesn't understand what's going on until the end of the movie. She is subject to Jerry's infidelity, which is far more dramatic and interesting than an unsuspecting Helen. Now, Blonde Helen's story takes up a little bit more time on the screen, but that starts to change. That's more so in the beginning of the movie as well, but that does start to change after sequence six. The three storylines balance out after sequence six. Helen and Jerry's story merge in the final sequence to, I think, an overwhelming sense of relief at that particular point. While all stories in Sliding Doors are love stories, the blonde Helen story is a courtship story because it's centred around new love. Helen's story is about a long-term relationship and discovering infidelity, and Jerry's is about obsession and the affair. And as his friend Russell points out, his actions are comical and more interesting than a soap opera. (laughs) And I can't believe that someone would get themselves into that level of conundrum. But anyway, that aside, both Helen's, both the Helen stories start in the same way. But when the sliding door split happens, we shift into the different story. Blonde Helen's story is broken up by all the drama points we expect for a a longer love story. The inciting incident for this story is when Blonde Helen arrives home and finds Jerry with Lydia. However, Helen's inciting incident is when she's fired from her job. And Jerry's inciting incident is when Helen arrives home and he has to hide evidence of his affair with Lydia. Now, I won't break up each storyline and go through this piece by piece. It would take too long. But you can see how the individual stories start in the same sequence and then vary throughout the story as it develops. But before I break down the sequences, Valerie, how do you see the two Helen storylines? Yeah, this one is a tricky one to talk about on a podcast. (laughs) So like you, I broke it down into brunette Helen's story and blonde Helen's story. And also like you, I think that brunette Helen's story is dominated by Jerry. She's still the protagonist, but she's a very passive protagonist in that storyline, which makes it not, for me anyway, not as interesting. 
I have many more things to say, <laughs> but I don't want to break your flow and I don't want to scoop myself. So why don't you carry on? <laughs> okay. All right. So that's interesting. So I viewed, I, so the way I started to think about it once I realized, um, the brunette Helen story was not as active as I was expecting it to be. I, I viewed her as more a point of view character who, yes, is a protagonist, but like you said, that passive protagonist and I viewed her. And so I started to think of her more as a point of view character, as opposed to a protagonist in her own right. And then that made sense right up for that, um, I suppose the maturation arc for that internal story at the ending. So yeah, I can see why you would think about it that way because I had this, I had similar thoughts. All right. Now I'm going into the sequences. So again, I've used a single central action to summarize each sequence. So again, I will try, I know I speak quickly sometimes, but I will try very hard to make sure that I break things up so that we can understand what's going on in the sequences. So in sequence one, we have Blonde Helen finds Jerry with Linda. So this is the central action of the sequence for that character. Jerry is having an affair and so they are the main parts of that sequence. So I haven't identified anything really driving Helen's action in that story, in that particular, sorry, that sequence. In sequence two, we get the new Helen in the blonde Helen storyline. For Jerry, it's the actions of a guilty man. And then for the other Helen, it's Helen gets a job. In sequence three, blonde Helen has a good time with James. And Lydia gives Jerry an ultimatum. So again, brunette Helen does not feature much or have a central controlling action in sequence three. In sequence four, blonde Helen kisses James. So I've identified this as the start of something new and I have not given an action point for either of the other two characters. Now, this is very interesting because at this point, at the end of this sequence, this is the first culmination point and the main culmination point of the story at this stage. And the other stories don't have a significant turning point or crisis here. And that is why I've identified Blonde Helen's story as the one that meets most of the conventions and the prime story that we're looking at, especially through this middle build sequence. Right, so in sequence five, we have for Blonde Helen, Jerry gets in the way and he gets in the way of her forming more uh, a deeper relationship with James. For Helen, it's she's working and working and doing more work, supporting Jerry. And for Jerry, Jerry and Lydia go to Dorset. Now in sequence six, we get blonde Helen. It's James and not Jerry. For Jerry, it's it's over with Lydia. And then for Helen, she starts to get suspicious. Now at the end of sequence six, it's the second culmination point. So for the blonde Helen, it's when she can't get in contact with James and she thinks she's blown it because Jerry came into the picture. But the other two stories have climactic points here, which they need to, to make sense of the ending payoff of the story. So 
they are not as active or their culmination points happen a lot later. So they've missed the middle culmination point and then their stories are actually reaching a climax and crisis right here at the end of sequence six. So in sequence seven, blonde Helen sees James and the other woman. Jerry gets a call to go to Lydia's and Helen is offered a job interview. Now in sequence eight, again, we've got the three characters. We've got Jerry, what I've identified as Jerry gets what he deserves. Blonde Helen has no happily ever after. And Helen, Helen's is everything turns out well in the end. So I hope that makes sense and I hope I've really pointed out the differences of the storylines and how they work in each of those sequences. So this is a very skillful script and the movie I think is superbly superbly edited. There is a real precision in the storytelling of this movie. The sequences in this movie work in terms of the main storyline and the build-up to the crisis for the other storylines. I would not attempt this structure if you were starting out with a mini plot story. It works because of the split at the beginning and the the merge and the death at the end. So breaking this down was a challenge for me this week, but once I gathered my thoughts around the theme, the cast and controlling idea, I could use the three act eight sequence framework for the main storyline and see how the other storylines worked around it. I've talked about the threads of a story last week and in previous episodes, and this week's analysis has reinforced the idea of using threads to weave a story. So there is a primary story or character in a mini-pot structure, and the other storylines are woven around it. And I can see this in sliding doors, but it plays out in two different ways. And finally, just out of interest, here's a fun fact. Helen, it's stated in the movie, is actually a Gemini. So her star sign is the twins. And this is an interesting detail about her that could offer an explanation as to why there's a split in her timeline. So, Valerie, I know that you don't agree with me in terms of the story structure because I've read what you've said. So that's my takeaway. I'm going to hand over to you (laughs) to hear what you have to say. (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, I do agree that the movie is superbly edited. But the movie just isn't that interesting (laughs) in my not-so-humble opinion. (laughs) For, For me, sliding doors, I'll just give you the bottom line here, sliding doors feels like an interesting intellectual exercise, uh, but not much more than that. Anyway, okay, let's, let's just carry on. So, Melanie, you've already touched on a few of the things that I have in my notes here for this week's episode. The very first thing I have at the top of my list is plot structure, because I think that's, for me, that's where I started as well, because it's not an arc plot structure. So if you go back to the episode we did on three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, that was way, way back in season one, you'll know that a story can have one of four different plot structures, an arc plot an anti-plot, a mini-plot, or a multi-plot. And these plot structures exist on a spectrum. They're not four individual silos, you know, with concrete, hard and fast uh, edges or definitions. They're more like the colors of a rainbow. Now, the arc plot structure 
is by far the most common. It's so common that it's kind of the default. It's the structure we think of when we think of a story. It's typically a linear, single protagonist story that follows the hero's or heroine's journey form. Almost every theory book I have talks about theory as it relates to the arc plot structure, although very few of them actually articulate it that way. It's only the advanced ones like Robert McKee and and John York who talk about the different plot structures. That's how common arc plot is. But sliding doors is not arc plot. This is the type of study that's good for anyone who is writing a multi-plot or mini-plot. Like if you if you like the books of Leanne Moriarty, for instance, and you are writing in that style, this is the kind of plot structure that you're getting into. One isn't better than the other, in my opinion, but I think multi-plot and mini-plot are a little harder to pull off for a novice writer. So generally speaking, multi-plot stories are those with multiple storylines. Many plot stories are those with abbreviated story arcs, and they're abbreviated because typically the story is shorter. So for prose writers, uh, it's the difference between a full-length novel and a novella or a novelette. It might even be a short story, although sometimes short stories are single scenes as well. So if you have a novel that's in the typical 80 to 100,000 word range, and you have six storylines going, you're probably dealing with uh, mini plots because you just don't have enough room in that book to have fully realized story arcs. If your story is ballooning to 350 or 400,000 words, (laughs) then they're probably not mini plots because you're probably trying to fully develop every one of the storylines. Hopefully that makes sense. Alrighty, so Sliding Doors then is about an hour and a half, as Melanie said, and that's down from the typical two hours of a feature-length film. But there are two storylines with two distinct protagonists. Now, this sounds like I'm contradicting myself. To me, Helen is the protagonist of the story, but there's two versions of her. So that's why I'm saying two distinct protagonists, Blonde Helen and Brunette Helen. So now, you know, we can have this whole big, long debate about whether there's one protagonist or two, but I'm not interested in that conversation right now. (laughs) I'm going to call it two uh, because we have two different versions of Helen Uh, and they have, you know, it's clearly two tracks we're following following here. So I think Sliding Doors is on the spectrum between multi-plot and mini-plot. Each storyline only gets about 45 minutes of development instead of 120 minutes. So that means that the storytelling principles aren't necessarily going to be executed fully or explored as richly as they might be in a story that has one storyline, one protagonist for 120 minutes. All right. So let's talk about the beginnings and the endings. In terms of beginnings and endings then, we don't have a crystal clear example of it. Now, Melanie, I found your breakdown of the the, um, sequences really interesting. But when I looked at the beginning, I, I wasn't looking at them as separate tracks. I was looking at this as one unit, particularly act one and act three or the beginning and the end. So I don't think we have 
a crystal clear example of how a beginning and an end works. But then most of what I'm studying with beginnings and endings are arc plots. So it's not quite apples to apples for me this, this episode. We do have an exact repeat, however, of the Helen and James lovers meet scene, which I found interesting. So Helen steps into an elevator and drops her earring and James picks it up. That's the lovers meet scene. Now, it's not the opening and closing scenes, but it's the beginning of their love story in both storylines. And it's very close to the beginning of the whole story. It's the third scene. There might even still be some credits rolling at this point. And it is, in fact, the closing scene. So, you know, it's it's close. Close enough for jazz. <laughs> the opening and closing scenes do rhyme thematically, though, because they're both focused on Helen's relationships. And that makes sense, given that this is marketed as a romantic comedy. In the opening scene, although Helen is going to work, her boyfriend Jerry features heavily. And Melanie, this is exactly what you were saying in the brunette Helen storyline. She's passive and Jerry's uh, actions and activities seem to take the lion's share of that story. In the closing scene of the whole movie, Helen brunette Helen, has ditched Jerry and is now meeting James. We also have repeated hospital scenes in the first act and the last act. So brunette Helen goes to the hospital in act one because she has a head injury. In both storylines, she ends up in the hospital at the end because she's had much more serious uh, accidents. Brunette Helen has fallen down a staircase, but she ultimately recovers. Blonde Helen gets hit by a car and dies. (laughs) This is a romantic comedy? I don't know. (laughs) Even though the movie is short, the overall beginning is about 15 minutes and the ending is about 18 minutes. So, you know, that's what we've been seeing so far. Even with the dual storylines, the overall structure is kind of what we would expect in an arc plot story. The story splits into two plot lines just after the inciting incident. And I'm looking at this as the inciting incident of the whole story, which is when Helen gets fired. Now, I just want to talk about the hero's gift expressed here for just a quick second, because this was my focus for last season. And I found it interesting here. Uh, If you remember last season, I, I really went into this and I talked about when it's introduced and how it's developed throughout and why this is so important. Here, in Sliding Doors, Helen's gift, presumably, is her skill at PR, public relations. However, in Blonde Helen's storyline, where her gift is expressed, she dies. In Brunette Helen's storyline, where no gift is indicated or expressed, she lives. I mean, yeah, there's technically we know she works in PR, but we don't get any indication at the beginning of the whole story before it splits off that she's any better than anybody else. In fact, they've been trying to get rid of her for whatever reason. If she was really that gifted at PR, they would overlook, one, they wouldn't have been trying to get rid of her, and two, they would have overlooked the fact that she took four, four bottles of vodka on Friday? Four? Am I a prude? Am I just jumping demographics here? 
Oh, that sounded like a lot of vodka for for our weekend. <laughs> I'm approved. That must just be that. <laughs> so the fact that Helen expresses her gift in the blonde Helen storyline and dies, but there's no gift at all expressed in the brunette Helen storyline and she lives, that confused me. I'm not sure why it's like that or why the writers made that choice. It's Anyway, it's an odd one to me. I'm scratching my head on that one. Anyway, before I go on, Melanie, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, I think, do you know, that that maybe that has something to do with the fact that it she is a passive protagonist in the brunette Helen storyline. And I think that that's the hope at the end of the movie or there's something there at the end of the movie where you don't get a resolution in her storyline, but you have hope because, you know, you can see that James is, you know, if you were thinking about it in terms of partners, he would be a far better partner for Helen as we've seen in the Blonde Helen storyline. So perhaps just getting her life together at that point of time will be allow her to express that gift because I, it, Jerry's a bit of a leech on her, right? She has to support them uh, so that he can write his novel so her ability to go out and express any PR gift is non-existent because she just has to get a job so that she can support Jerry, who is a grifter at best. <laughs> but he's a very dislikable character, I think, in the movie and one I think both he and Lydia are quite despicable and probably should end up together. But maybe that's part of that and maybe... So it's interesting, and I haven't thought about this, this is just thinking on the fly, is that I do think that the Blonde Helen storyline takes primacy, and I know what you're saying about her dying in the end, but they are the same person. So I think, and I know, and I think you could get into very circular arguments about one character, two characters. I do, I agree with you, there are two protagonists in the film. I think that's why you have the split but they are the same person. I think one is just a what if question and one is just that linear not uh, linear storyline that the where the what if question wasn't asked. So maybe that explains some of it. I don't know, but it's it's worthwhile considering and these are the sorts of things you do need to nut out if you're going to do a split timeline story or if you want to do a story like this. Uh, where you have the same protagonist either walking through life at the same time with different options or even that split storyline with the same protagonist at different stages of their life. You need to work through some of these issues. So having these discussions is really good because you can start to see the complications that you have to deal with when you split a story this way. It does start to feel a little like a choose-your-own-adventure story. I will say, however, that I do take exception to the description of a novelist. We don't yes. all have sugar mamas <laughs> and sugar daddies paying our bills while we write our novel. I'm just saying that for what it's worth. Anyhow, this leads me to something that I think Melanie might not appreciate, but, you know... <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> that's that's okay. I'm keeping my powder dry for next week. <laughs> Holy plot holes, Batman. Oi, with the poodles already. Okay. So when we're writing a novel, a story of any kind, 
As the creator of the story, our goal is to make the plot as airtight as possible. Now we're human, so there might be a plot hole in there, no matter how hard we try not to have it in there. So here's where I've set the bar for plot holes. If I read a book or I watch a movie and on one reading or one viewing, I don't perceive any plot holes, it gets two thumbs up, it gets a pass. Sometimes on one read through or one viewing, there's these, you know, clear circumstances where, I mean, you could just drive a Mack truck through these potholes. So if there are potholes that you can only perceive on multiple viewings or multiple readings, that's okay. That to me, the author has tried their best. Sliding doors has the Mack truck plot holes. <laughs> uh, okay. So where do I start with this? This is not a particularly complicated story, but I did struggle with it because I just don't get it. Overall, I don't get it. The whole thing about how Helen's life splits into two paths based on whether she catches a train or not, to me is a cute gimmick, but that's all it is, a gimmick. It's an intellectual exercise to see how a story would work this way. And creatively, that's a fun exercise but it doesn't necessarily carry through that it's a movie anyone wants to watch. Clearly, Melanie and I disagree on this one. <laughs> if you look too carefully, and that's what we're doing here on the podcast, plot holes start to open up. Let me give you a couple of examples. The finances, we've already touched on this. Brunette Helen, who's the one who missed the train, is so desperate for money, she has to work two jobs. Blonde Helen who caught the train, doesn't need any job at all, not immediately anyway, and she can afford to go get a makeover. Now, she is the same person at the beginning of this movie, before that inciting incident of losing her job. So whatever her financial situation was at that point, it continues to be after the storyline split. And it's not that Jerry is a dependent for brunette Helen, actually, because if that was the case, in Blonde Helen's storyline, we would see Jerry in desperate financial straits, but he isn't. And this isn't me being picky. This is a plot hole that they have created because, and by they, I mean the screenwriters, because they have put so much emphasis on the fact that brunette Helen is working her fingers to the bone. So it, it begs the question, how is it that just because she missed a train or didn't miss a train, she is somehow now having to work her fingers to the bone or she can get a makeover. That's not the only sort of logic problem. How does brunette Helen know about the purple shirt rowers? That does not make any sense, not according to the world they have set up. James rowing in the purple shirt is from blonde Helen's storyline. It also doesn't make sense that she knows the right Monty Python line, because these are two concurrent storylines. It's not like a past life. It's not, this isn't a, a, a time travel story. These are two concurrent storylines. I know it's still Helen, but it's two different versions of Helen. It's, it's a multiverse. <laughs> they have not set up that one Helen would somehow be telepathically linked to the other Helen, or one Helen would somehow subconsciously be able to know information from the other storyline. I mean, that could be the case if they had set it up, but it's not there. It, it doesn't make 
logical sense according to the world that they have created. Now, it could be that they just the writers just tossed it in as kind of a, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the audience. That could be, but I don't think that works. I think it just weakens the whole story. Now, a little word about the word building. The movie came out in 98. A PR professional, especially one who owned her own PR company, would have had her own cell phone in 98. And I know this because I was a PR professional in 98 and I had my own cell phone. I had to have it. I didn't want it because <laughs> I didn't want them to be able to reach me after office hours. But I had to have it. And I worked for the federal government at the time, which was actually late to the party on cell phones because of, you know, a big fancy procurement process and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't make sense that blonde Helen would have had to use a phone box to call Anna. And if she didn't have a cell phone, you know, you could argue that she just started up her own company and having a cell phone was not uh, a necessary expense for a new startup. Okay, I can go with that. But James would have had a cell phone. He's a big fancy pants businessman. Um, we're led to believe that he's well-to-do. He's the kind of guy who would have had a cell phone. I don't know. I meant to actually go back and check to see if cell phones were in the story at all up to that point because I maybe I'm being persnickety. No, there's no mobile phones in the movie at all. So nobody has a mobile phone, which I found interesting. And I suppose I didn't question it as much because you're right, if someone did and then the rest of the cast didn't or vice versa, that wouldn't make any sense. But most of the calling or all the calling is done on landlines. So, yeah, it, and it's interesting for the time frame, right, like you pointed out. Well, okay, I'll give them a pass because there are no cell phones in any of it. Still don't get it. But, okay, I'll give them a pass on that one. <laughs> now, following the story's logic, it just doesn't make sense that catching or not catching a train would open up two parallel paths in life. I, I ju It's just not enough of a significant event for me to follow the rest of the story. It would open up two different paths, but not two different paths that are essentially the same path. It's not, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's not just that they're similar, it's that they're, they're kind of two versions of the same thing. For example, in both storylines, Helen discovers Jerry's infidelity. She meets Lydia. She has a miscarriage, although the fathers are different, and I have no idea why they have why she has a miscarriage in both of them, because this is marketed as a rom-com, and this is not typically the stuff that pops up in rom-coms. Anyhow, I will leave that aside. I will keep moving on. In both storylines, she ends up with James. Presumably it's open-ended, but I don't think it's a big leap to assume that brunette Helen ends up with James at the end of the day. She's got to have a happily ever after if you're calling this a romance. In both stories, Helen gets drunk at the beginning of the middle build, like staggeringly, blindingly drunk. And in both storylines, she needs somebody else to put her to bed. It's uh, Jerry in one and it's her best friend in the other. In both storylines, she has to have her nose tweaked the next morning in the shower to sober her up. Like that was eating up serious screen time. And in both stories, there is another woman in Helen's relationship. So we've got Helen and Jerry and the other woman is Lydia. And then in blonde Helen's storyline, 
We've got blonde Helen and James and James's wife. Not ex-wife yet because they are not yet divorced, although they are separated. So if you're going to explore the idea that something as simple as missing a train or catching a train is going to make your a, a character's life go in two different directions, why wouldn't you take the character's life in two different directions? To me, that would be way more interesting than two characters that are on parallel paths and that have the same things happening. I just find it all very confusing. It wasn't nearly interesting enough to hold my attention. I did turn it off a couple of times and had to come back, but I rented it. So I only had a rental for 48 hours. So I had to, that was what kept me in this thing. I didn't want to pay for it twice. <laughs> now, <laughs> it might sound like I'm being hypercritical, and maybe I'm tired and cranky. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to be unkind or unfair. I think, I think, as I've said already, th this movie is more of an experiment than anything else. It's a neat gimmick, and you know, as I said, it it feels like the filmmakers were just trying something out to see if it would work. That is fair. I can support that 100%. I mean, after all, if we don't try things, how will we ever know? But if we're going to try things like this, you know, new things, new for um, storytelling generally, or just new for us, we've got to try them to see if they work. But it means we need to lean into the theory, not abandon it. <laughs> just because something can be done... <laughs> doesn't mean it necessarily should be done. A gimmick might be kind of fun, and I know it was replicated in a lot of other stories, but, you know, in this instance, uh, for, for my money, it's not enough to support a whole story. A gimmick doesn't replace storytelling fundamentals. Right, so do you know something, I'm listening to you talking then, the movies that we've had problems with or, or found it harder to go along with and not suspend our disbelief are ones in each season um, that we've looked at that don't follow a arc plot storyline. So if I think back to Three Billboards and I think back to Being the Ricardos and now Sliding Doors, they are harder, so really hard to write and to do well. And I don't think any of those that we've watched have been executed to a level where you could go, this is a this is a brilliant example of exactly we see more problems with them than we see uh, good things, I suppose, or see it as a good example of what should be done. But I think that's just as valuable to people in order to you can learn two ways. And as we say in our opening, you can watch how other people do it and apply it yourselves, or you can watch when it doesn't work. And sometimes you can watch the bits of stories that don't work. So I do like Sliding Doors. I think there are some really good examples to sh show how it does work, but perhaps there are parts of it that don't work. And I think the same when I look back at Three Billboards and I think the same as I look back at Being the Ricardos. There are some things that are done well and then there are other things that are, are um, cautionary tales for people who want to try and do something outside of an arc plot. 
anyway, that's my that's <laughs> that's what I, that's a summary thought <laughs> after listening to what you had to say. All right, well, I will give you the final word on it since it's your movie. Okay, so what <laughs> what uh, action step do you have for listeners today? So this is more of a major takeaway than an action step. In other movies I've analysed this season, I would use the three-act, eight-sequence framework as a plotting tool. However, in Sliding Doors, I would use this framework more as an analysis tool to see how the story worked. Then I would plot around the theme and the Jerry Helen story and the Blonde Helen James story. I would be meticulous about the plotting in a story like Sliding Doors so there is alignment at certain points. That is what I would do as a, as a thought to leave you with um, and maybe the action step is think about how you would attack or start to look at a story where there's a, a split storyline or a mini plot story arc. Well, that wraps it up for this week at last (laughs) join us again next week when we discuss the Blair Witch Project you can tell that one is my choice now don't worry if this is not your cup of tea I totally understand you will not need to watch the Blair Witch Project in order to understand next week's episode and I promise there won't be anything spooky or unnerving about our discussion so please do stay with us and do tune in To support the show, please leave us a rating and review and tell your writer friends about us. For even more information about putting story theory into practice, subscribe to my inner circle by visiting valeriefrancis.ca slash inner circle and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Valerie underscore Francis. And you can now also find me on TikTok at Valerie Francis author. If you'd like to find out more about Melanie, visit melaniehill.com.au or visit her on Facebook at Melanie Hill Author. And remember, story theory does not have to be difficult. It's a tool to help you write more, not less. So take it one step at a time and have fun. Mm-hmm.